Father, we thank you. You're a great God. You're a great king. I love you so much, Lord. I'm not ashamed to say that. Been by my side for 45 years. Helping me. Allowing me to preach the gospel to thousands and thousands of people through my lifetime. To give the good message, the good news that Jesus Christ is our friend. Our savior. Our forgiver. And I pray, Lord, as we launch this three-part series, that God, your anointing will come upon my life to speak your heart through my lips to your children, your church, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't stop short. Don't stop short. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Isaiah 64 and verse 4 in the RSV version says this. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides thee who works, who works for those who wait for him. What's God saying? There's so much more. There's so much more that God wants to give us. There's so much more that God wants to do in our life. I want to refer you to an Old Testament text. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. And I've subtitled this, You could have had more, Joash. Now Elisha was full and sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the Lord's deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice, three times, and stayed. Verse 19. And the man of God was wroth. This is a prophet on his deathbed. Trying to give a miracle through God to a king. Trying to communicate a message to a king on his deathbed. This was the 31st miracle. Elisha would have one more miracle when they threw his bones in the ground. After he died. And they put a dead man in there. And the dead man came to life. This was the next to the last miracle. He said, he smote it thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, which means angry, upset. And said, thou should have smitten five or six times. Then had thou smitten Syria till thou had consumed it. 
Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria three times. Incomplete. Unfinished business. The prophet was saying, you can not only take back land the Syrians have taken from you, but you can take back everything. You can have it all, Joash. But you settled. And you stopped short of what the man of God said for you to do. Have we stopped short? Have we settled? Think about this. We let things go so long that need change that we eventually lose our motivation to change. We become stagnated, giving up hope that things can change. Come on. Let me read that again. We let things go so long that need change that we eventually lose our motivation to change. We become stagnated, giving up hope that things can change. Have we stopped short in areas of feelings? We're afraid to express. We're afraid to show emotion. Some people have a brick wall built around them. Some people have a guarded fence that's electric and you can't get into the heart. It's a struggle. You need a battalion. You need an army of soldiers. You need air power to come maybe from the top to get into a person's heart. We're so guarded. We're so stained. How about God's will? I'll get to that. How about the area of success? Do you have everything you need? Everything you want? Do you have your dreams or your hopes? How about the area of accomplishments? Oh, I'll get to that one of these days. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. I just shrugged my shoulders. We stop short. We stop short of victory. We stop short of faith. Come on. Can you say amen this morning? We stop short of victory. We say, oh, oh, well. What will be, will be. Can't change things. It's not going to happen. Miserable marriage, miserable life, miserable kids, miserable employment. Okay, so we settle and we stop short. I want to read a quote. One of the most powerful quotes I've ever read in my entire life. This is by Brendan Manning. He used to be a Catholic priest that left the priesthood. And this book is called Abba's Child. He's a wonderful writer. He's deceased. He's written a lot of books. He was a terrible, terrible alcoholic. But I want to quote. In Annie Taylor's novel, St. Maybe, Ian Bedloe's mother is a Pollyanna living in an apple pie world, ceaselessly, ceaselessly flashing a pasted-on smile. Haven't you met those kind of people? Pasted-on smile. She runs around like Lancelot's horse in four directions at once. But after the sudden death of her oldest son, she has a moment of deep reflection. Driving home with her husband on Sunday morning from the church of the second chance, she says to him, Our lives have turned to makeshift and second class. So second string, so second fiddle, and everything's been lost. Isn't it it amazing that we keep going? That we keep on shopping for clothes and getting hungry and laughing at jokes on television. When our oldest son is dead and gone and we'll never see him again and our life is in ruins. Now, sweetie, he said, 
We've had such extraordinary troubles, she said. And somehow they've turned us ordinary. That's what's so hard to figure. We're not a special family anymore. Why, sweetie, of course we're special, he said. We've turned uncertain. We've turned into warriors. Warriors. Be, sweetie, isn't it amazing? End of quote. What's he saying? Their life became, let's shop, let's eat, and let's watch television. And that's it. Our son passed, and that's a terrible tragedy. But we have become ordinary. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Come on. But when the desire cometh, it's a tree of life. That's what's in heaven. But God said this. Hope deferred, Proverbs 13, 12, makes the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it's a tree of life. In the message version, it says this. Unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick. But a sudden good break can turn life around. I really love our president. Let me tell you why I love my president. I turn on the news and I hear the same old, same old like I hear from people. (coughs) Russian collusion. Clinton Foundation. Dossier. I come back two weeks later and I turn on the same news channel. Russian collusion, Clinton Foundation, dossier. But you know, our president is different because he refuses to stop short. He refuses to look at things as they are and as they were. And he says, let's have vision. You see, years ago, his pastor was Norman Vincent Peale. He grew up in that church, a positive thinker. And that's why all hell can break loose against the president, and he'll come out and say, things are great. Things are so great. 313,000 jobs last month added. Stock market went up 440 points on Friday. We have the most people working in America in the history of our country. Unemployment among African Americans and among Spanish people is at an all-time low. Employment is at an all-time high. Who's giving the man any credit? 91%, they did a study, of other news channels pose him as a negative president. You know why I love my president? Because he's not going to stop short. He's already accomplished 65% of his entire agenda that he was platforming on when he was a candidate to become president of the United States. No one in the history of our country has accomplished 65% in the first year. That's something to imitate. That's something to think about. 
That to sit down in the mullet groves and think life is over and we become ordinary. And to sit around sucking our thumb and thinking, well, I'll get to that one of these days. Maybe I'll get to first base. If I'm lucky before I die, maybe I'll get to second base. Oh, my friend, we need to hit a home run. We need to touch home plate. Come on, my friend. We serve a big God. There's three things that we have to do if you don't want to stop short. Number one is to seek Him. Because all things come from God. The psalmist said in 63, Psalm 63 and verse 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsted for thee. My flesh longed for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. We have to become thirsty. Isaiah 55 and 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jeremiah 29 and 13 reads, And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Are we really doing that? Come on. Are we so busy? Mm-hmm. Doing what? What are we so busy doing that our primary focus and priority in life is not seeking Him on, who gives us life each day, Come on. Come on. who saved us? who forgave us of our sins. It's just like Daniel the prophet said. People are running to and fro throughout the earth like chickens without a head. You see it. You see it in the church. You see it in the Christian ranks. Amos the prophet said this, For thus saith the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me. In parentheses it says this, Inquire for and of me and require me as you require food. And you shall live. What's he saying? He says, seek me. Inquire for and of me. And require me as you require food. None of us goes without food. And you shall live. Zephaniah in the Amplified Version says this in Zephaniah 2.3. Seek the Lord. Inquire of Him. And inquire of Him. And require Him as the foremost necessity of your life. Is He the foremost necessity of our life? Come on. Or is money and mammon and possessions and status? <laughs> My mother always said there's no pockets in the coffin. They'll fight over your money when you're gone. There's no pockets in the coffin. But if God called us home today, God forbid, what would be our eulogy? What would people say about us? Would they say he sought the Lord? That was the primary focus in his life? Seek him, and then you have to find him. Deuteronomy chapter 4.29 says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul, we can't have one foot in and one foot out. Come on. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Luke 11, 9. I say to you, ask and keep on asking, and it shall be given you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you shall find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives, and he who seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door shall be opened. The Amplified Version. It's not a one-process deal. 
It's not once every three months. Imagine if you get married and 25 years later, the only time you said to your wife you love her was the day you got married. I doubt she'd stay with you. I doubt she should stay with you. Well, I told you 25 years ago. Well, the Lord is the same. He's no different. We're married to him. He's our husband. People don't see that. We're the wife. He's getting the bride ready for the wedding day. He's getting us ready for the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Yes, sir. Lord, I'm busy. I'm too busy to go buy the dress. I'm too busy to make preparations. I got to get the food. And Lord, we got to get the invitations. But I'm too busy. I'll get there when I get there. Proverbs 8.5 says, For whosoever, whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. I want the favor of God. Amen. I can't allow obstructions. I cannot allow ob- obstacles in my life. I cannot allow people to impede my journey with the Lord. Seek Him. Find Him and know Him. Hosea said it in Hosea 6 and 3. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. Just as the morning comes up. And he shall come unto us, listen to this, as the rain, as the latter and former rain upon the earth. What's God saying? He wants to give us a drenching in the last day. Not just the former rain, not just the latter rain. He wants to combine the former rain and the latter rain together to drench us. He wants to pour out a flood. He said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. What does the word pour mean? It means flood. Come on. Everybody's going to get something. You're either going to get the blessing of God or the judgment of God. Because he said, my spirit shall be poured out upon what? All flesh. People don't get that. And they refuse to understand it. That's why Jesus said to the Jews in John 8.31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue, if you continue in my word, then, it's an if-then hypothesis, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Paul the Apostle said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. What does it mean to know? To distinguish that God is different. To recognize that God is different. To identify Him as a different person. To discern, to be acquainted with Him, to be familiar with Him, to have knowledge of Him, to understand Him, to appreciate Him, and to experience Him. Seek Him, find Him, know Him. Listen to these words. For your present situation at hand. You see, I've been around the block for a long time. And I know that people lose hope and lose faith and they settle and they stop short and they only strike the ground three times with the arrow instead of five or six. And as time goes on, the hope, 
the vision, the faith, and the victory begins to fade. How does this so far apply to your present moment? Do you complain a lot? Do you murmur a lot? Do you say, woulda, coulda, shoulda? Come on. <laughs> I should do that. I could have done that. I want to do that. But I'm tired. I don't feel good. I have no motivation. I don't want to get up. I just want to watch television. Mm. Mm. By faith, ask yourself that question. And take a healthy spiritual risk. Desiring to seek him, find him, and know him. For your situation that bugs you every day. And the circumstance that's presently in your, not, in your life that you need an answer for. Or have you settled? Have you stopped short? Have you given up? That'll never happen. <laughs> Go ask Abraham. Go ask Sarah. Who laughed in her tent. Go ask Sarah. And then denied laughing. You will have a son. Abraham, don't worry about it. Isaac was born. Yes, sir. I said Isaac was born. Yes, for the promise. Come on. <laughs> he didn't settle. Abraham did. Mm-hmm. Oh, they tried a backdoor approach. Sarah gave up and settled on having a son of her own from her own womb. So we bring in Hagar. And we tell our husband it's okay to go into the concubine. He's a man in the Old Testament. What do you think he's going to say? You think he argued with Sarah? And she became pregnant with Ishmael. Then Sarah got real upset. You see, our carnal plans never work. Our carnal thinking never work. It's death to God. It's enmity. Come on. You have to learn to walk in the spirit. Not in the flesh. You can't push this thing. You you, you can't bring it down from heaven. It comes by the grace of God. You can't work it up. You can't push it on people. You're only going to get what I say here through Christ today. Through the anointing of God and through the Holy Spirit. Not because I'm talking. Let me take you to a great character. Abram. I want you to stay with me for a few minutes. This is a very powerful move. Genesis 11.31 And Terah, who's Abraham's father, took Abram his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law. You see, Abraham, Abram's name wasn't changed to Abraham, and Sarai wasn't changed to Sarah yet. His son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, And they came unto Haran, and they dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now what happened here? It says that Terah, the father of Abraham, took his son. See, God was tugging at the heart of Abram's father. The word Terah, you know what it means? T-E-R-A, the father's name? It means to delay. It means 
turning and tossing. Should I? Should I not? Should I? Should I not? Always going to the water and putting the toe in and never really going into the middle of the lake. Tossing. It means duration. Procrastination. He practiced idolatry. As a matter of fact, Joshua referred to this in Joshua 24 and verse 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in the old time, even Terah, that's Abram's father, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. So what happened? Terah took his son and Lot, the nephew, and they started traveling. They left Ur of the Chaldees to come to the land of Canaan. But where did they end up? They ended up first in a place called Haran. H-A-R-A-N. You know what that word means? It means to rest. And it doesn't mean to rest because you really worked hard today. It means you flat out don't have any motivation to do nothing with your life. It means you're just going to sit on your leaves and you know what your leaves are. It's what I say. And make excuses. And blame other people for your condition. Blame your childhood. Blame your DNA. Blame your environment. Blame your parents. Blame everybody. Blame your wife. Blame your husband. Blame the pastor. Come on, preach it. Haran means the state of the dead. It actually means to be flabby. It means to desist. In other words, I'm not making a move. That's the way I'm going to die. My father died when he was 40. I'll die when I'm 40. My mother died when she was 50. I'll die when I'm 50. What's the point? It's in our genes. It's in our bloodline. It's in our DNA. We were already given up. We're in the state of the dead. That's what Haran means. It means be lacking or idle. It means to cease, to end, to fail, to forsake. Leave me alone. It means to let alone. Be unoccupied. Don't bother me. Don't push me, Pastor. Don't challenge me. Come on. I'm settled. Hmm. It means to want. Haran was a place midway between Ur of the Chaldees where they came from and Canaan land where they were supposed to be going. At this place at Haran, Terah stopped. He settled, he stagnated, and he eventually died as the father of Abraham. He never got in. He never moved on to Canaan's land because his name said it all. The state of the dead. Hmm. Here's a quote from Erwin McManus from the book Wide Awake. It's a little lengthy, but I'd like to read it to you. The question remains, though, are you living up to your calling? Are you maximizing your God-given opportunities? Abram was called out to greatness, and it changed not only his life, but the lives of generations to come. Ironically, those who don't have the opportunity to live a life worth dreaming of need you to pursue great dreams for them. 
They need you to live up to your opportunity so they might have one. So you have a job, great. It's the job you have, not the job you want. But the job you have is better than the job that you don't have. So you settle for the job even though you don't want it. You just settle there and you're miserable. But you're paralyzed by fear because you stopped growing. You stopped learning. You stopped exploring. You stopped discovering. And you stopped dreaming. Is it possible that to create the life of your dreams, you need to get up and leave what you know and relinquish the security of what you have in order to discover what you only see in your imagination? Remember, there's always a hero within you waiting to be awakened. And that hero is the explorer. Sometimes we think that if we leave everything we know, it's going to get worse from there. But it's possible you'll never find greater contentment or joy or exhilaration until you're willing to give up what you know and what you have for what waits ahead and exists in the unknown. You are created by God to be a prisoner, to be a pioneer, excuse me, to explore unknown places and have uncertain experiences because he created and designed you to solve whatever challenges and problems and obstacles you will face in that place. When you live up to your greatness, the whole world is made better. The world cannot afford for you to choose average or easy. Don't let the routine of life put you in a rut. End of quote. You know what that whole thing comes down to? Do you want to change? Do you want more out of life? Do you have a dream or a hope? People go around, I hate my job. I'm miserable. Maybe that's an indication you need to go do something different in a different job. We go through the motions. We fake it and make it. We do that in our homes. We do that in our church. We do that in employment. We fake it and make it. We don't do as unto the Lord anymore because we've stopped at Haran. Come on. And we're in actually the state of the dead. And we're afraid to admit it. If anyone comes near us that's bubbly or has vision on hopes and dreams, we get all frustrated and we get all convicted and we turn around to some of those people and say, you'll cool down. I heard that many times when I became a Christian. Oh, your zeal, it'll cool down. You'll, you'll, you'll find the honeymoon will be over one of these days. No, no. 45 years later, I'm still preaching the word of God. I still got faith in God. I still have youth spiritually in Christ. The body might be getting older, but the mind is still young. I will mount up with wings as an eagle. Come on, my friend. That's my faith in God. God doesn't forsake you when you get old. God gives you just more wisdom. But unfortunately, not too many people want to hear the wisdom of an old preacher. Not many people want to hear the wisdom of an old Solomon. I preached that some weeks ago in the, in, the church, in the prison church, sitting at the feet of an old man, Solomon. How many people want to hear that? How many young people want to hear Proverbs? How many people want to hear about the Song of Solomon, the greatest love song in the Bible? Romance, sex. Oh, that's in the Bible? Yes, it is. You think God is just a party pooper or something? You think God doesn't want to dance with his people? God made Adam and Eve. And you know what? He created them naked. Naked. Intimacy. 
<laughs> That's the kind of God that we have. Let me read. Acts 7-2. This is the book of Acts now. He said, men and brethren and fathers hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. In the Amplified Version, it says this, And he answered, Brethren and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our forefather Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he went to live in Haran. What? This is God speaking to him? This is the first time. And he said unto Abram, Leave your own country and your relatives and come into the land that I will point out to you. Abram did not leave on the first notice and appeal and command from God. That's verified right there. This would be a big move on his part. Out of idolatry, and discovering a whole new world, Mesopotamia, and then Ur of the Chaldees, then Haran, and then Canaan. Abram didn't go on the first call. You see, he got some of his dad's DNA. And that's the mistake that we make when we refer to our children. He's just like your dad. He's just like your mom. What are you saying? Why do we put people in these boxes? Come on. Why do we put people in this operating image? Why do we label and identify people in a negative way? It's just like your dad. And they say it that way. It's just like your mom. And they say it with that face, that scowl. And we imprint that on a child's life. They do that in school. They do that in sports. And it travels all the way through life. A scar. Thinking, I can't change. I'm just like my dad. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country. This is a very important word. And from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Amen. God referred to this in the book of Acts. This exact thing. The man of God told him in the book of Acts what happened with Abram. What does the word country mean? Get out of thy country. It means to be stuck. What? It means common. Just like in Brennan Manning's quote in Abba's Child, we've just become ordinary. It means wilderness. The comfortable place. Hey, I got my potato chips. I got my soda pop. I got what I need. I got my favorite programs. They're all channeled in. I got the remote. I got the DVD. Man, I'm good to go. Wow. You need to get out of that country. 
Amen. I said, you need to get out of that country. Because that country is going to kill you. Mm-hmm. That, that country is going to saturate you with negativity. Mm-hmm. Going to strap you of your vision. Without a vision, the people perish. That word country means, the, the word country means old mindset. Where you were and where you are, but making no progress, just maintaining and not obtaining. But mumbling all the way of how you didn't catch a break. Nobody wants to help me. No one's there for me. And yet people still want to go back to that country, that family and those relatives that are negative, that give them nothing and come back unhappy with grief and sorrow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Come on, preach it. What's happened to people's lives? That we live a certain amount of years and we eat, sleep, go to the bathroom and then we die and then there's a funeral. Uh Uh-uh. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's right. Come on. Just maintaining and not obtaining. What's the question in your life that needs answered today? What's the situation you are trying to understand? What are you lacking? What do you need? Have you looked to community? Now you hear what I'm going to say to you. And I believe this with all my heart. Fulfillment sometimes only comes with the help of of others. What do you mean? God designed certain things to take place. It's called the body of Christ. And there's certain things you can't accomplish without the help of others. But here's the problem. When you're staying and you're maintaining, here's what people say. I got this. You know what? That's your stinking thinking. And it's got you stuck so long that you're starting to smell. They won't allow you to invade their space even though you discern it, you see it as a pastor, God gives the pastor a gift, but you dare not enter into that life because you know you're going to get the hand. I got this. What they're really saying is, I don't want change. Come on. I'm happy where I am. Don't bug me. I want to do the minimum to get to heaven. And I don't want you to challenge me. That's what's wrong with young people today. We don't challenge them. Come on. We tie their shoelaces. We make their lunch. We iron their pants. We do their wash. Come on. Why? When I was a boy, guess what? I learned to sew, iron, cook, vacuum, do the wash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you thought my mother was a staff sergeant. You think my room was ever dirty, sister? You think I threw my stuff under the bed? You think my mother had to tell me to clean my room? No, sir. Because in that broom closet, there was a bed with cat and nine tails made of leather. And guess what? One swipe across your butt or across your legs, you knew to clean your room, and they didn't have to tell you more than once. Today, we negotiate. Today, we plead. Today we say, hey Johnny, if you clean your room, that looks like a hurricane, and we need a bulldozer, Mommy will send ice cream to you. <laughs> Meals on wheels. 
We negotiate. Come on, preach When you say no, it should be the first time. It's no. Come on. You don't need to negotiate two or three times. You say no because you have to learn the word no. When my son was growing up in Staten Island, New York, I took him outside on the sidewalk and traffic was coming way. Ambulances, fire trucks, police cars, cars buzzing by. And I took him on the sidewalk on purpose. And I walked him on the sidewalk. And we went to the edge of that sidewalk and I said, no! You do not step into that street. And I would go out with him and I'd walk on the sidewalk of Staten Island. And he'd be walking. I'd say, no! He got it. Because he hear it just one time. Because if you have to say it twice, it could be a casualty. And that's the mistake of parenting today. It's too much negotiation. When God says no, it's no. When God says yes, it's yes. And you don't negotiate. And a temper tantrum. You put him in another room and you say cry and stay there for three days. You'll get hungry and you'll want to come out. Right. You think my mother negotiated with me about meals, son? My mother put my food on my plate even if I didn't like what was on that plate. You know what I'm talking about. And guess what I did? I hate Now we have to have different meals, different schedules, different menus. So let me tell you this. Canaan, unto a land that I will show you, the land of promise. Canaan represents the new mindset, not the country. Come on. The land of possibility, the land of opportunity. The land where questions can be answered. Where the situation is understood. Where you receive what you need. Where you connect the talents, abilities, and gifts of others in the community where you go. We need each other. Amen. We can't be absent from each other. We can't be weekend warriors. What would happen... If the President of the United States said to all the military personnel, you only have to come to work on Sunday. Don't be guarding any bases. Don't be guarding any people. Don't be fighting any wars Monday through Saturday. Just come on Sunday. How do you think that would go over? How long would it be before we lose? <laughs> Second notice for Abram is found in Genesis 12, 4. Listen to the words. I have just a few more moments. So Abram departed. There's two departed in this verse. As the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now there's two different words here. The first word departed, and Abram departed, means this. To die Concerning the manner of life you are living. Abram, it's over. The country is coming out of you. Idolatry, your father, the DNA, whatever, is done. Come on. To die concerning the manner of life you are living. To go. It's an action word. To walk, to proceed, to follow away 
from where you were. So many people are so easily pulled back because their heart's still there. People try to tell me about this reduction therapy now. No, your heart's still there. It's total abstinence from any addiction. It's not seasonal. Alcoholics don't become social drinkers. Drug addicts don't become social drug addicts. Gamblers don't become social gamblers. But we've got twisted counselors sitting behind desks making $75 an hour telling people, well, if you shoot up seven times a week, let's just try three. If you're only gambling away $1,000 a week, let's go to 500 How about we tell them, why don't we find Jesus and get complete abstinence and sanctify our life and come out of the country and get a new mindset? Why don't we tell them that? We're not allowed to tell them that. Departed means to pursue. But listen to what this word means. You see, God has given Abram a vision now. Your dad is gone. He's done. Idolatry is over. DNA from dad is gone. Country is gone. Old mindset is gone. And so this word depart means to leave that manner of life. But it also means this. Cause to run with excitement. Because God, what are you going to do now? Where am I going? What are you doing? It means cause to run to excitement. It means to dream, have vision. It means moving on up. Come on. Come on. To the east side. <laughs> Just like the Jeffersons. <laughs> moving on up to the east side. As George is dancing on top of his bed. <laughs> Instead of sitting in the old country mumbling. That's what you hear from people. Come on. I want to be like George Jefferson in that sense. But then God throws another word out there. It says, And Lot went with him, and Abram, 75 years old, when he departed out of Haran. That's the second depart. Look, here and down here. Why did God put two words? The same, in the same sentence, but mean different things. The second word, departed, means this. To go or come out or forth with purpose or result. You know, a lot of people have no purpose. They have none. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to be? I don't know. What are you going to study? I don't know. You can't live like that and survive spiritually and emotionally. You're just a body in britches. That's all you are is breath in a pair of pants. That's all you are. No vision, no hope. It happens in our marriages, our relationships. Things become stale. There's no more chase. We settle down like that lady in Abba's cry. We settle down and say, well, you know, we've been married so long. 
Chase your wife around the kitchen. Sex doesn't always take place in the bedroom. Oh, Pastor Sarah. Oh, Pastor, use that word. We're afraid. What are we afraid of? Intimacy? Why do we get married? Why do we come to Jesus if we're afraid of intimacy? We stagnate. We die on the vine. We're shriveled up. We're like prunes. We're like pool bears in a funeral home that greets you at the door with a sunken face and a pinstripe suit. The word departed in this means to go come forth with purpose or result, to go forward, to proceed to or something. The word means begotten. Now, where do we get that from? Conception? It means to bring forth, to birth, like the birth of an idea. It means a conception, an embryo, a fetus, a child. This word departed means to break out, to escape, to get away, to send with commandment, to shoot forth, to spring forth, to stand out. This second word departed is a bigger investment than the first word departed. This now is a healthy risk on Abraham's part and saying, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm excited. Our walk with Jesus becomes so boring that people don't even talk about the Lord in their conversation. We don't, we don't talk about the Lord like he's personal. Come on. We might refer to him as God. Christians. We, we don't talk about the Lord like he's personal, like, like we really know him. Like we're afraid to say, the Lord, gee, I love the Lord. Oh, I'm a man. I can't do that. Ooh. What are you going to do in heaven for the rest of your life? People are afraid of intimacy. So many walls. Living in the old country. Listen, many get to Haran, like Terah did, and fall short of Canaan. This is Matthew Henry quote. And they are not far from the kingdom of God and yet never come thither. Matthew Henry said it. Many get to Haran and fall short of Canaan. They are not far from the kingdom of God and yet never come thither. They are not far from the answer. They're not far from their dream, their vision, their hope, but they never arrive. And then they die. Then we gather to the soft music, to the dim lights, to the low voices as we greet each other, and we say, I'm sorry for your loss. And God looks down and says, yeah, I'm sorry for this loss. You see, on the tombstone of many people in the graveyard, it's going to say these words, herein lies potential. Herein lies potential. But they stood stuck. Let me close. Matthew 13, 44 says this, so appropriately. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field, the which when a man has found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field.
You know what that means? Look at the verse. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field. A treasure. That which, when a man finds it, he hides it. And for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buys that field because he knows he has that treasure that he's buried and he wants. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get that treasure. The treasure has come. The treasure has arrived over 2,000 years ago. And you don't have to go in the field to find it. Because with outstretched arms, the treasure cries unto you and says, Now come out of that country. Come out of yourself. Come out of your own mindset. Come out of your rut. Come out of all the stuff that you're trying to figure out for the entire life. Oh, I got issues. I got to solve these problems. My God, when is the time to get over some of this stuff? Yes, sir. Come on. Same issues. Same problems. Same defeatism. Mm -hmm. It becomes idolatry. Because we start to worship it. And it becomes our story. I told my prison church yesterday, you have a story. And that story is going to either influence people negatively or positively. Amen. And ladies and gentlemen, you all have a story. Come on. And it's going to influence people negatively or positively. Mm-hmm. Closing. Do we do this to get where God wants us to go? Do we really do everything we can to find the treasure? People stop short because of lack of knowledge and fear. People resist because they're afraid of the new. We do what we are comfortable with. Change, none for many. Many stay the same. I call them this, spiritual homebodies. Spiritual homebodies. Don't bother me. Don't upset my schedule. I have some excuses. You should understand. It's not for me to understand. It's for you to give an account like I have to give an account. Obstacles, struggles, setbacks, disappointments derail so many people to quit life and just exist. Obstacles, struggles, setbacks, disappointments derail so many to quit life and just exist. Joni Erickson Tata. Most beautiful young woman. Had a swing accident. And ended up in a wheelchair. Great singer. Great artist. Great speaker. She didn't feel sorry for herself. She didn't cry baby the rest of her life. She even found love and found a husband. She didn't sit in her wheelchair. And say help me. She depended upon God. Total dependence on Him. Life changed. Her life was derailed. But what happened? A great life unfolded 
that has blessed and influenced millions of people in this world? What if Abraham disobeyed God? What if Moses ignored the burning bush? What if Noah decided not to build the ark? But Abraham went, Moses took off his shoes, and Noah built the ark. They sought God, they found God, they knew God, and the question this morning to all of us is, how about us? How about you? And how about me? God bless you. Please stand with me.